to see everyone today, and I think before I go any further, I'm going to ask for a little more volume this morning. Thank you very much, Clint. I appreciate that. <clears throat> well, good worship today. Has God been pleased with our worship? I hope he has. I hope God has been pleased with our worship, even if we have not been pleased with our worship. Our purpose in coming together on the Lord's Day is to praise our God, to worship Him, uh, to come before Him with humble hearts, uh, hearts that are receptive to His Word and ready and willing to be obedient to His will. You know, the last uh, better part of four months I've been standing here preaching on Sunday mornings about every other week, and it's been a wonderful experience, and I want you to know that I haven't quit, and I haven't been fired, and I haven't lost interest, but for the next couple of months, I will not be here on Sunday morning preaching. Other arrangements have been made, and uh, part of that is my own personal schedule. So I'll be returning toward the end of the year, but I'll be continuing to speak on Sunday nights uh, at 6 o'clock, and I just wanted to let you know that I'll be absent from the pulpit some on Sunday mornings. It's not... Uh, a lack of interest on my part, or anyone said, John needs to bow out. I'm going to be back, I promise you that. Our studies for the last uh, several weeks have centered in the little book of 1 Thessalonians, and I want us to draw the, from that text again this morning, and I want us to talk about worship. What makes worship meaningful? Worship is vital to the church. Collectively, it's vital to every Christian individually. We all can worship God privately in our devotional time, in our personal time of prayer and study. We can praise and worship our God. But the worship that I have in mind this morning is the worship that happens when God's people come together on the Lord's Day. What happens in our collective worship, what we call our assembly on the first day of the week? It is vital to the life of every congregation. And perhaps not only is it something that is vital to the congregation itself, it is vital to our outreach to those who are not a part of our congregation, to those who visit with us, to family and friends who will come and participate in our worship services from time to time. And you know, there's not a Sunday goes by that that doesn't happen. We have folks from the community. We have people that just walk in. They decide, you know, I've driven by that church building for years, and I've heard some things about that church, and I know some of the people that worship in that congregation. I think I'm just going to visit them today and, and see what's going on. What's going on will have a major impact as to whether or not they ever come back. And we have to remember that, people. Worship is not a one-hour experience to wake the dead. Worship is a time for us to celebrate our faith in Jesus Christ and to express ourselves in ways that God has given us that enable us to show our love and our joy and uh, our, our feeling of, of celebration for just being saved people, for being the church, for being Christians. 
If people walk into our building and come here on Sunday morning and what they experience is dead and dull and boring, shame on us. Shame on us. The preacher cannot afford to make it dull and boring. The worship leaders cannot afford to contribute to that kind of a thing. And those of us who are sitting in the pew, we dare not sit and watch and critique. We have come to participate. Worship is not a spectator event. It is not something in which we do just sit and watch and observe and then walk out and make some observations or criticisms or critiques of that service sometime around noon on Sunday. This is a time when we, as a people of God, have come to worship our God. Not just to please ourselves. And when we get that through, that this is all about God, I know that we're people and we see each other and we speak to one another and, and yes, we have fellowship in our time of worship. But you know, this time together is not dependent upon whether I know who's sitting next to me, in front of me, or behind me, or that I have any conversation with them at all. This is a time when it's about me and God. And that's why it doesn't make any difference if a church has six or 60 or 600 or 6,000. I hear people say about big churches. Now, I don't know what big means, but for some folks like myself who grew up out in a country church going to, to little congregations and preaching for little country churches and little white frame buildings, maybe 25 or 30 was a good day. And to go to a church of four or 500 on Sunday morning, that was a big church. And I've heard people say, you know, I just, I just can't find my place in a big church. Big churches are cold. You know what makes cold churches? Cold Christians. And so when you're coming to worship, it doesn't make any difference how many people are around you. What does make a difference is, what about your relationship to God? You have come to worship God, not the preacher, the elders, or fellow members. You've come to think about your relationship with God and to connect with God. That has to do with singing and praying and preaching, listening to the Word of God and communing with our Father and sharing in the fellowship of the sufferings of Jesus Christ as we gather around the table. So worship is vital. And in this little letter that we happen to be spending some time with, there's an interesting thought found almost in the very last verse. It's the next to the last verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In your Bibles, your smartphones, or however you're going to look at Scripture this morning, look at it. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 27. Paul, at the very end of this little book, he says, I adjure you, I beg you, I plead with you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. This letter that we have been studying from was written with the intention that it was to be read to all the brethren. Now, when do all the brethren get together? You see, I really believe here is a letter that was originally written to be read in the context of the assembly. When the church comes together, when all the brethren get together, 
read this letter. Now, in view of that, the greater context then of this letter is the context of what happens when the church comes together. This is a little different view, I think, when we understand this broad context of this letter. If you'll turn back a few pages to the book of uh, Colossians, uh, at the end of Colossians chapter 4, uh, Paul makes a similar statement to that church when he says in verse 16, And when this letter, that is the letter of Colossians, when this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Interesting thought here. Apparently Paul wrote a church, a letter to the church in Laodicea. It's not found in your New Testament, is it? It's not found in mine because it hasn't been found, period. But here's the idea. Paul was writing letters inspired of the Holy Spirit. And to this church in Colossae, he says, read this letter to the church. And when you've read it to your church, send it to the church in Laodicea. Y'all swap letters. This is the beginning of the tradition of the public reading of Scripture in the New Testament church. We know in the Old Testament on the Sabbath days they had the reading of the Law and the Prophets. And now we see a, a great tradition beginning with the writings of Paul. And he says, these letters are inspired. They are not just from Paul. They're from God through the Holy Spirit. They need to be read to the church. He will tell Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 13, Timothy... Until I come, listen to this, he said, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. If there's one weakness and one area that I think we may have overlooked in the modern church today, it is the public reading of Scripture. Now we read a little snippet here and a little verse there, and we state, make a statement here about beginning worship together and we'll have a scripture or a call to worship or something. That's not the public reading of scripture. The public reading of scripture is read this letter to the church. I've preached for the better part of four months now out of 1 Thessalonians. We haven't read the letter to the church yet. We've just studied it paragraph by paragraph. But in view of this context, I want you to see at the close of 1 Thessalonians some things that Paul says, and I believe he says them in the context of what would be happening in the assembly of the church. We made reference to these last Sunday even as we were talking about our prayer emphasis. I began my comments with 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16, 17, and 18. I want you to listen to these words, and I'm going to read a few more uh, for this passage this morning. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. But examine everything carefully and hold fast to that which is good and abstain from every form of of evil. And then that passage we read in verse 27. I beg you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. 
So here in the greater context of the assembly of the church, as the brethren would come together, and today we need to know, brethren, that we have a letter from Paul, and we're going to read this letter. And then as we've read the letter and we come toward the end of it, I think Paul gives us what we might even call uh, some headings for the order of worship. Think about it. Verse 16, 17, and 18. How many times have we quoted these verses? And especially verse 16, I mean, it ranks right up there with that, memory, that great memory verse of John eleven thirty-five. 35. Jesus wept. You know, we've, we've all made, uh, made mileage on that because if we were asked to quote a scripture, we could get that one down, couldn't we? Jesus wept. But here's the other shortest verse in the New Testament. Rejoice always. Think about that in the context of worship. This is not just an order for us to be happy. It is an invitation for us to participate in joyful celebration in a time of worship. Now, if we come in on Sunday morning and we didn't start preparing for Sunday until the alarm went off Sunday morning, and it hadn't, the clock hadn't been running many hours since we went to bed on Saturday night, then we walk in and we're draggy and we're kind of, you know, we're not awake. And then we come into worship and somebody tries to get us all stirred up and we're going to sing these songs and, and we're just kind of dragging along, you know. Rejoice always. It's hard to express your joy when you're worn out and when you're tired. Preparation for worship begins before Sunday morning. It's something that should happen all during the week, but as the weekend progresses, we need to recognize that if we wear ourselves out on the weekend, how are we going to be prepared for joyful worship on Sunday morning when we're just tired and, and, and too frazzled out to really participate? Think about it. Rejoice always. This morning we started off with praise songs. And I believe in this songbook that we have, which is, by the way, the heaviest songbook that's ever been printed. But in this songbook that we have, you will notice that it starts off with a section of praise songs. We have come here to praise our God. If you turn over to the Psalms and you see a lot of the things that are said in the Psalms, it'll say things like this, Shout to the Lord! Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Even though we meet on Sunday instead of Saturday, worship to God has always been the same. We've got to express our love to God. We've got to let Him know we're happy to be Christians. Happy in spite of the circumstances that we might be going through in life. That's the joy, the rejoicing that Paul is talking about here. It's not dependent upon our circumstances. It is dependent upon a heart that is filled with joy regardless of some of the tough things that we might be experiencing in life. Rejoice always. Praise should be a part of every worship service. And it should be exhilarating praise. It should be enthusiastic praise. And to those of us who are considered worship leaders, let me just put a thought in here. Worship leaders need to lead. Leadership takes place down front. We lead by our voice, we lead with our body, and to be leaders we must be seen and we must be heard. 
I appreciate folks say, John, I can always understand what you're saying because I hear what you're saying. Those who lead must be heard, and what you're saying must be heard. If we're going to lead a congregation, we don't turn the leadership over to the congregation. We lead. We lead down front. We lead with our voice. We lead with our body. We offer leadership because a group that doesn't have leadership will not lead itself. And so we must be joyful, and we must be a people who, as he says here, pray without ceasing. So prayer is a very vital part of our worship. Prayer leaders need to prepare. And sometimes I know it happens. We make assignments. We send people information. We call them. We give them cards in the mail. You have this prayer Sunday, or you're going to be responsible for this prayer at a certain time on Sunday. And preparation in prayer shows. And when prayer is not prepared, it shows. And so we need to prepare to be prayer leaders. We are praying in behalf of the church. We are praying prayers of intercession. We are leading a church in prayer. Praise and prayer go hand in hand. And then he says, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, if we just chop that down into three verses, it sounds like there's just three suggestions. But I want you to see that that is one sentence. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. Don't leave out the last part of that verse. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What is God's will for us in our time of worship? His will for us is that we be joyful, we be prayerful, and we be thankful. Putting all that together in the context of worship, Paul says this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, if you think that's just a happenstance that it came out that way, listen to these words from another one of Paul's letters, and I'll give you the reference in just a moment. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for this, that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. That is an extended way of saying what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, and that's found in Ephesians 5, verses 18 through 20. He starts out by telling us, this is the Lord's will. In 1 Thessalonians, he closes by saying, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I believe God's will, when we come together in assembly worship, his will is for us to praise him. His will is for us to open up our hearts in prayer to him. And our prayer service last week was an eye-opener for many of us, a time where we really concentrated on prayers with specific interest and specific focus and specific petitions and requests and specific thanksgivings to our God. Every worship service that I think pleases God consists of prayer and praise and thanksgiving. 
But there is a spiritual side here that we need to introduce. This is not just a secular assembly. You know, the word for the church there, assembly, ecclesia, is also a word that's used uh, in the book of Acts when it talked about all those heathens that gathered in that great theater, that amphitheater in the city of Ephesus, and they were there to crucify Paul. They were there to put him out of town. And that group was called an assembly. It's the same word for church, the ecclesia, the gathering together of people. But when the church gathers together, it's not just to hear a speech. It is to listen to the word of God. It's to talk to God in prayer and praise. And it's to allow God to talk to us through his word. And so the spirit enters into this picture. This is a spiritual gathering. And we are not to quench the spirit. Do you know what that means? The word quench means to extinguish. It means to put the fire out. And listen, when a church is praising God and praying to God and joyful about it all, and I mean a little momentum gets to going and the church is feeling real good about this time of giving worship to God, and then all of a sudden somebody says, now wait a minute, we don't want things to get out of control we got to hold this thing down, and we put the fire out. We can put the fire out by not singing ourselves. We can put the fire out by not going along with the prayer leader and saying amen. We can put the fire out by quenching the spirit and despising prophetic utterances. Did y'all know that I'm a prophet? I just thought I'd announce that this morning. I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet in the sense of foretelling the future. But I want to tell you this. All of God's men who have been spokesmen for him down through the centuries have been prophets. That simply means someone who speaks the word of God, often speaking for God and using his word to let people know what God expects. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. I do not believe since the time of the apostles that we've had any inspired preachers. I don't believe we've had anybody where God has been giving direct revelation to them. If that's the case, we should have been adding all of that to the Bible. It hasn't been added and it will not be added because the Bible says don't do that. But when we come to worship, we need to anticipate that a message is going to be delivered that is based on the Word of God. I want you to listen to what Paul has already said in this letter and how he commended this church because they were receptive to what he had to say concerning the Word of God. Chapter 2 and verse 13, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. You know what the word of God does? It performs the work of God in you. When the word of God is spoken, here's what it does, and this is what this word means when it says it performs its work. The Word of God energizes us. 
our worship to be meaningful must also include listening to what God has to say in his word. In 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, I believe about the same thing is said, uh, beginning down in about verse uh, 13 and 14. He says, We should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. And it was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. God does his calling through the gospel. When the good news is preached, men's hearts are pricked and they're convinced that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and they commit their lives to him. And so in our worship service, there is a special place for the preaching of the word of God. Now, I've been doing this for a long time, but I have sensed over the years a trend that is occurring within our churches. And any preacher who's preached for a little while at all realizes that there are Sundays that preaching is nearly squeezed out. Now, last Sunday, that was planned on purpose. But it seems like in our churches, we want more praise, more singing, and less preaching. Get us in late and get us out early. I saw a sign not long ago on the interstate headed down to Austin, and there was this church building over there, and it said, Home of the Ten-Minute Sermon. <laughs> now, I call that the Light Church, L-I-T-E. You know, the Light Church. The Light Church is the one that says, you can choose eight of the Ten Commandments, your choice, you know. Uh, the home of the 5% tithe, things like that. You know, the Light Church. And the home of the 10-minute sermon. Listen, we have got to allow God a few more minutes every week to listen to what he has to say to us. And here's what I want to tell you about preaching. And I told a brother this morning, I told... Uh, Marcus Roden, I said, Marcus, you know what makes great preaching? Great listening. Great listening. We are a culture that needs to learn how to listen. Some of us don't listen because we think we already know it all. Some of us don't listen because we have been adjusted and accustomed to uh, a little clicker in our hand, and if we don't like what's being said, we click it to the next station. Some of us don't know how to listen because we communicate through tweets and twittering and twats and all that kind of stuff. And, and we abbreviate everything to the point that nobody really knows what we said anyway. Folks, when we come to worship at the church on Sunday, we need to turn everything else off and tune in to the word of God. We've listened to the words of men all week long. We have been bombarded with more information than we can actually feed back to each other. We are as confused as we possibly can be of what's happening in our world and in our community because we have heard so much we can't remember who said it, what they talked about, and why they even told it in the first place. And when we get to worship on Sunday, listen to God speak through his word. Do not despise his word. Do not defile his word. Do not try to destroy the word of God. And it all has to do with our attitude. 
We either believe this is God's word or not. And some of the people who are telling us how we ought to do things down at church don't believe this is the word of God. If we believe it's the word of God, we've got to uphold it. We've got to listen to what God says to us. And in this context, Paul is saying, church, you come together and you praise God and you talk to God, but for Pete's sake, stop long enough and be quiet long enough to let God say something to you. Those are my words for worship this morning, and they're not mine, they're Paul's. And if we want to make worship meaningful, these are the kind of things I think will help us. God forbid that we would quench the spirit by putting the fire out, by failing to sing and to praise and to express our joy. Let's look forward to our times together. For all of us who are here this morning, you think about it. This is the only time this week all of us will be at this place. The only time. We must take advantage of this sacred moment. This is the most important thing that's happening in Paris, Texas right now. It is undoubtedly the most important thing that will happen in your life this week. It's a time that you can and I can look at my life and evaluate myself in the light of God's word and determine, did I worship in a way that pleased God? Is my life a pleasing worship service to God? Can I leave this place today and go out and live like I lived last week or do I need to make some changes? Do I need to adjust my course because God has spoken to me in a special way today that says, get your life in order, get your priorities straight, make sure Jesus really is your Lord, enter to worship, leave to serve. This moment is so significant. And this very moment is a time when someone will make a decision to serve God, to live for Him, to be renewed in faith, to express repentance and ask God to forgive and to give a new lease on life. This is not a time for us to think about what we're going to do as soon as we walk out of this building. This is a time for us to really prayerfully consider someone's life will never be the same again after we sing this song have these prayers, participate in this baptism, things will never be the same again. God bless us as we worship him and as we participate in our worship and contribute to it because, you know, you can only get out of worship what you put into it. Let's stand and sing.